this podcast I call Outside the Fences of Camp Perry. We've discussed about the new arrivals Camp Perry and also Camp Life. But the main reason we had Italian and German POWs in the United States was still a labor shortage. E.C. McCormick issued the following treatment of prisoners of war based on the Geneva Convention. One, the labor of bodied interns will be utilized according to their rank and aptitude. Non-commissional officers will only be required to do supervisor work unless they expressly request a remuneration occupation. Number two, no internee will be employed for which he is physically unfit. Three, except in emergencies, the working day will be no longer than 10 hours, but this limitation does not constitute a habitual 10-hour working day. Number four, interns will not receive wages for work connected with the administration, management, and maintenance of the camp. Such unpaid labor will be termed class one labor hereafter in this memorandum. Internees will utilize for work shall be entitled to wages. Such paid labor hereafter in this memorandum will be termed class two labor. As I mentioned before, there were citizens involved working side by side with POW. At the Erie Proving Ground, there were 5,000 residents working with 1,000 Italians. At the Columbus Depot, I had indicated that there were 10,000 residents working with over 400 German POW. This was outside the labor contract arrangements. April 11, 1945 detailed report indicates that there were 80 contracts under Camp Perry stretching from Toledo to Cleveland, with over 900 German POWs working on farm sites and businesses, which included 96 guards that were assigned to the 80 different sites. If you look at the time the POWs were here, with Italians coming in 1943 and the Germans not coming until June of 1944, they were really here for a short stay, but they did meet the labor demands, especially from 1944 through 1945, and then they were repatriated back to Italy and Germany. In April of 1945, there was a concern locally that soon the POWs would be sent back home. So a letter was sent to the War Power Commission in Washington, D.C., which read, We strongly urge your office to take the necessary actions with the top Army policymakers to ensure that the promises made and relied upon by so many employers are kept. Unless we have favorable prompt assurance that the Army will deliver the workers promised, we do not feel we can avert a serious food shortage in Ohio and Michigan during the peak food processing season. If we have a prolonged period of mass unemployment, it is true that we might get those food processing needs met by referral of laid off industrial workers. In the meantime, however, we would undoubtedly have considerable crop loss and food spoilage with the loss of the POWs. Dan Rhodes' local residents had assumed German POWs were going to be monsters, but they found they looked like everybody else except they spoke a different language, but did not joke or smile a lot. Dan goes on to say that the German prisoners of war were good workers, but always looked very gloomy compared to the Italians, who laughed a lot, were more jovial and were accepted by people in town. Dan reminds us that the Italian POWs had many descendants in the area, especially in Toledo, and he enjoyed eating with them, where they would wear white hats, white t-shirts, white apron, and hold their hands behind their backs and always would be laughing. Janet Stevenson, a local resident from Port Clinton area, recalls that around 1970, she went to East Germany and had a tour guide in East Berlin who was assigned by the East German government. She said that she was from Port Clinton, Ohio, and discovered that her tour guide had been a prisoner of war at Camp Perry. The tour guide was delighted to reminisce about his time at Camp Perry, and she felt that he must have remembered the pleasant things from his time at the camp. Candace York remembers the German POWs from 
from Camp Perry that worked on their farm during World War II. She recalls one story in particular about her mother, Lillian. Ma made extra food for them and talked to them to try to make them feel at home. They used to sing while they worked on our farm. One of the songs was Lily Marlene. These were positive remembrances by area residents of Port Clinton, but back at the main camp, there was a hardcore Nazi line that caused problems with fellow prisoners, and E.C. McCormick and staff had to deal with them on a daily basis. As I mentioned, once back in camp, there could be problems. March of 1945, a third strike occurred at Camp Perry, where more than 2,200 Germans went on strike, again over the perceived rigid discipline at the camp. These prisoners of war were eventually put on bread and water after a three-day strike, and finally concluded with them cleaning up the camp and going back to work. There was an additional strike at Camp Marion Depot. This one involved 242 German prisoners of war who went on strike to protest having to work in the rain. Lieutenant Colonel E.C. McCormick's response to the striking prisoners was to declare that they would work in rain or shine, and no work, no food, except bread and water. This move put an end to the strike. Nazi prisoners pushed some of the prisoners to their breaking points, leading to strikes, escapes, and most tragically, some prisoners taking their own lives as the only way out. Apes were few and far between, but on October 5, 1945, a POW was found hanging in a tree near Willow Beach, Port Clinton. Camp officials described the individual as mentally unbalanced. Until the day his body was found, this was the only German prisoner of war who had successfully escaped from Camp Perry. In June 1, 1945, a County News article recounted the event. Two prisoners who escaped from a Bostoria plant last week were apprehended in downtown Columbus last Thursday. A discharged soldier recognized the GI boots they were wearing. He also noticed that the POWs were crossing an intersection against a red light. They were apprehended and returned to Camp Perry thanks to the soldiers. As one can see, there was still some unhappiness with the rank and file of the German army. Those that tried to escape committed suicide because of their unhappiness. Even though this podcast is entitled Outside the Fences of Camp Perry, I'd like to move back within the fences. What was left after the POWs went back home? The contamination was considerable. The Scioto Ordnance Plant in Marion, adjacent to Camp Marion, had $12 million spent on cleanup. The Marion Engineering Depot, $35 million was spent. The River Valley Local School District had brought seven acres from the Marion Engineering Duke, only to find the grounds were contaminated and there was an indication of a high rate of leukemia for its graduates. In the end, it took $8 million to clean up the athletic fields and for the school to close and move to a different location. Also, the Rossford Ordnance Depot spent close to a $1 million in its cleanup on property where the Penta County Joint Vocational School was built, along with the Owens Community College was built. In the Erie Proving Grounds, there was $8 million spent. So you can see that it was Within the fences, there was a huge contamination problem that led to potentially high cancer rates of the River Valley Local School District, which prompted me to write a book about the school district and to look at the facts that were there. As I summarized in my book, it is clear that the prisoners of war who were housed at Camp Perry and its branch camps helped to satisfy the crucial labor needs of both the private industries and the farmers in Ohio region, were major revenue contributors to the federal government. Yet, despite Camp Perry's beneficial impact on the region, region's economy, the camp and its surrounding operations also left lasting scars on the health of local residents and the environment that is still being remedied today. Continued effort is underway to clean up the land at which Camp
Camp Perry operated, and which it oversaw the production and disposal of a great quantity of ordnance that, while integral to helping win the war, was also detrimental to the health of local residents and the environment. It's just one of the many contradictions found in the rich history of Camp Perry. From the first Italian prisoners of war who arrived at the camp, who were known for their affable, easygoing natures, to the successors of the German prisoners of war, who were remembered for their seriousness and sometimes intractability. From the local residents who recall finally their intermingling with the prisoners of war, working alongside of them, and even their chance reunions later in life, to those who held the prisoners of war in disdain as they felt they were being coddled by the government and were unfairly given brand name foods while they as American citizens struggled with the day-to-day needs. From the danger sign currently on display, warning the public to keep out, to avoid the toxic contamination, to the year-round opening of Camp Perry doors to the public to enjoy recreation and firearms training, Camp Perry, the Erie Proving Ground, and its branch camps remain a study in contradiction. (laughs) 